know what really makes us mad? Is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Talk about punk! What's up, posers? A special note about today's episode. As you can tell from the episode title, we have Andrew Verdecchio from Five Iron Frenzy on the show. The day I'm recording this is the day that Five Iron Frenzy announced a Kickstarter for their brand new album, Until This Shakes Apart. Uh, We were incredibly excited to talk to Andy, as Five Iron is one of my all-time favorite bands since I was a teenager. Though, while recording this episode, I lost my internet connection for over an hour, and we weren't able to wrap up our discussion. Uh, to make up for this, Andy has sent us the brand new Five Iron Frenzy song. Uh, that song is called So We Sing, and he's going to let us play it in its entirety. So join us at the end of the episode to hear it and for details on how you can support the album. And enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, my wife, uh, I'll get into like a commenting spree on like local news articles. Mm-hmm. And like my wife would be like, why are you wasting time? arguing with people (laughs) i I get it you're never gonna change anyone's mind on facebook but i I do not engage (laughs) i just scroll past it if it's like dangerous information i like might flag it (laughs) but other than that yeah or just like ah here we go yeah blatant white supremacy or something like that but (laughs) a lot of that stuff you can't get taken down i spent I spent a good hour and a half on. It's uh, a crazy deep website. Like it goes real far. Like I mean, I f- I feel like okay, this is eighty eight. I don't remember the the Pogues. I would I would have brought up the Pogues too. Oh yeah, yeah. I listened to that one this week. Um, just because whenever we get a year, I'll like listen to other records from the same year just to see what else. Was uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of goth stuff too that I'm yeah. into, like Fields of the Nephilim here. But um, but I was trying to stick with just traditional punk yeah this site has a real loose definition of what punk is and then doesn't include things that are very clearly punk too it's like the weirdest it's all user generated so like you know it could be i mean whatever gets tagged like like fields of the nephilim like i understand the connection because punk is like such an umbrella term right yeah i mean it it covers so many subgenres. so i mean when I back in '88, if I would have heard Fields, of, I would have been like, "Oh yeah, this is like this is like death punk yeah. stuff." Like yeah. Susie, like Su- we considered Susie punk. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, or or the Cure was considered. Uh, we called it like death punk or death rock. We never called it goth. That that was that term didn't come around until a lot later. Yeah, um, we've um. It's funny because we talked to we have a friend who's been on the show a couple times, and she's from new york and she said when they were growing up they would just call what would they call did she say they called the cure she'd be like alternative or something like that yeah yeah a lot of things were just kind of i felt like the way that she described it was that things were grouped a little more loosely like they weren't you didn't break things down into their sub genres and micro genres and like it wasn't yeah (laughs) it was like this is my music and this is mainstream music. Yeah. 
I, uh, <clears throat> I recently did this thing. Um, I, I had a post about it actually on my Facebook page about, that's probably a few years ago. I, I intentionally sought out music that I thought I hated or disliked and listened to it and tried to sort of figure out what it is that people like about it. Like I, there, there's music that, cause I was like, there's music that I hate that other, that I love that other people hate. And there's music that I hate that other people love. What is it about these different genres uh, that I hate? What is it that they see in it? That's so great. And uh, it really just like opened my mind. There's so many like top 40 songwriters that they're just good songwriters. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you break it down as a song and forget about who's singing, it, you know what I mean? And everything that's <laughs> attached to it, is it a good song? And you know, like uh, I got really into Justin Timberlake and stuff, you know, it's, it, I don't know. I, it was just a really interesting experiment. It kind of opened my eyes to songwriting. I used to be really like picky when it came to music where I would just be like, ah, oh, hate this, hate that, hate this, hate that. And then like, as I got a little older and started like actually listening to stuff and paying attention to what it was or stop thinking about what people would think of that music. Mm-hmm. I, it, I really got past like most hate for music. Usually the only thing that like will make me hate something now musically is typically the message or yeah, it's primarily it at this point. Like, otherwise, I'm just like, whatever. You know, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm. I'm. I get a lot, a lot less of visceral reaction to music. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's. I think uh, Pat Oswald had it. Where he's like, I used yeah. to be like, yeah, man. <laughs> well, I hate that. It's garbage. And he's like, now it's kind of like, uh, yeah, sorry. Or eh. eh. <laughs> and those are the. That's that's as far as the needle goes now. <laughs> Yeah, way. I guess because when you're younger, it's just like so much more important to be like, this is my identity. This yeah. is what I am doing. You're way more <laughs> wrapped up in it. Yeah. And, and more wrapped up in what people think of you mm-hmm. and your taste. Yeah. Yeah. When we talk about the other 88 albums, that's just like super loose. Just like yeah. whatever you see on there that you want, you want to talk about, we can talk about. And uh, like some of the ones you had on your list of like stuff that you also would have talked about oh that suicidal album was um, yeah we try and recognize like some of the bigger trends too so mm-hmm. um well this was there is a big crossover uh, am i jumping the gun did you guys want to do like an inter- like an introduction or we'll do we'll do a, yeah before yeah we'll do like a real introduction i guess we could save all this so yeah. <laughs> okay do that yeah. and then we'll jump back in and yeah okay cool Get the show, the show, the 
Uh, what's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Lotto Pod. I am your co-host, Justin Hensley. And I am your other co-host, Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where we assign our guests a year and they pick one punk, hardcore, or emo album to discuss. And joining us today, we have the drummer of one of the most important bands in my teen years. Uh, we have Andrew Verdecchio of Five Iron Frenzy. Hello. How are you tonight? Really well, really well. It's so funny. We, you know, we do this podcast and then like we talk for a few minutes before we hit like start the recording and then like have to pretend like we, oh, hey, how are you? It's not yeah, like we, we just <laughs> got him on the line here. Uh, we haven't been talking to him for the last 25 minutes. <laughs> um, do you guys want to start back where I left off with suicidal? Yeah. Yeah. So, for it. 88. So, yeah, yeah. So that, that record was a big deal and like, so like DRI was coming around and, and there's a big crossover like uh, uh, Corrosion of Conformity is another band that kind of their style went from like pretty much traditional punk to like m- almost metal, but still having a lot of those punk elements. I know a lot of remember this is, you know, this is 1988. So, you know, I, I had a lot of friends that uh, that loved Metallica that were punks, you know, Metallica loved and, punk. And they considered themselves like thrash was like an extension of punk rock, which it really was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, um, yeah. I think especially when you look at what mainstream metal was in the eighties, mm-hmm. like thrash especially draws more from, from punk than like hair metal. Right. You know, there's, there's the, the technicality maybe, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, um, so like, like, in the early days when Jeff Hen is still around before he passed away, if you look at the earlier photos of him and he's got that guitar and it's got all those stickers on it and it's like dead Kennedys, the misfits, it's like all old punk band. Um, and you know, and even interviews with those guys. See, I like metal too. Um, especially that era of metal a lot. Um, so I listen to like, I like, I like watching the interviews with like Kerry King and stuff like that. And they all talk about how punk influenced them early on. You know, and Metallica too, especially. Yeah, I, mean, I was. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, looking at 1988, the uh, it seems kind of like a transitionary year. Mm-hmm. So like, I was I was expecting a lot more crossover and like thrash punk stuff. But I, I besides the Suicidal Tendency records and the DRI, you got a couple skate punk records. Maybe you got the uh, JFA record. I was gonna say JFA DI. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and in the let to like a different extent, the Rollins band put out their first record. They're a little bit more groove based, but yeah, yeah it, it, I was expecting more crossover and didn't quite see as much, but mm-hmm. I mean, Suicide Tendencies is kind of like the king of it. I think, yeah, them and DRI led the way. We, we got to open for DRI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is <laughs> true story. True story. <laughs> um, so Ow. then we got we got to open for them and we got to open for in the same scenario different year we got to open for the descendant. I mean that that um, makes a little more sense I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, DRI so a festival in Colorado, a snowboard festival, and they, I think they only did it two years in a row. It was called Board as Usual, and uh, and it was just like an like an all day one one stage and then just breaks in between. And it was just like an all day show and. Uh, yeah, we got to open for DRI was one of them, <laughs> um, which was awesome because like the first time I'd heard D- DRI was Thrash Zone, and I was an instant fan. 
you know it was just it was everything that i liked it was like you know technical playing but still kind of aggressive and punky you know i don't know it's good stuff yeah what let's see what else we got in 88 so i i noticed another really big trend for 88 um we we there's all the goth stuff um Mm -hmm. the mission and Susie and the banshees and Mm -hmm. so like but i guess as far that kind of music had been going for a little bit at this point and i want looking at like the newer stuff coming out look like newer sounds rather well you've got like the new york uh hardcore youth crew thing going on uh-huh so there's uh youth of today put out a record i was looking at the a, lot, EP. a lot of russian yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i noticed uh, i wonder I was... if the guy that put this together with russian and thing like that he's like i'm <laughs> i'm gonna put my you know i'm gonna rep my country a little bit and that's <laughs> the international user base uh yeah Sorry, does, i didn't mean to cut does lend to cut you off uh Ooh, yeah legendary pink dots awesome yeah yeah i listened to that sugar cubes yeah. record this week too and i was like damn this is great like sugar cubes were great yeah like bjork is a legend mm-hmm. but she's for me personally she's a little too out there to like get a lot of enjoyment out of so like the sugar cubes is like her in like a more of like a locked like mm-hmm. post-punk vibe and that works so much more for me like i really like that record a lot yeah i mean i'm i, I like bjork uh quite a bit on her own um but i like i like weird stuff anyway like i'm a I, she did that album with, with matmos that's all all of the percussion is surgical sounds <laughs> oh uh, but that's what they do this band matmos they they do uh they make music from like weird stuff like that and so i was like oh man she's getting like i was so excited for that just because i already i already knew I already knew and appreciated both of them. It was like this is like chocolate and peanut butter, man. <laughs> <laughs> I just like weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's also the DC scene is kind of doing something different. We're like we're past the Revolution Summer stuff, and mm-hmm. we're getting ready to go into the '90s. Looking at the EPs, uh, Fugazi put out uh, the uh, ten songs. Is that what that is? Well, it's the self. It's the the self title. The self title. The red EP cover is usually. Yeah. Combined with Margin Walker oh, to be. Oh, we got another. We've 13. got another visitor. <laughs> Sorry. You want to say hi, honey? <laughs> okay. I can't read. Just tell me. You can I talk. I want to say hi. Right. We'll say hi then. Hello. Hello. My daughter Heidi. How's it going? Have you uh, have you ever have you ever watched the cartoon Star versus the Forces of Evil? I love that. Uh-uh. No. He's Star. That's. <laughs> I mean, her. That's her character. They're the same. They're the same person. <laughs> All right. Oh, love you, honey. You know what's Kiss. really okay? I need you to go back upstairs, okay? I want to sit you with say you bye. Though. No, I want to sit with <laughs> you. All right, but, but you gotta be quiet, okay? Okay. All right, thank you. All right, where were we? <laughs> uh, yeah. So eighty-eight. Uh, re- post-revolutionary summer. We've got yeah. Fugazi. We've got government issue. Soul side. Dag nasty. Like it's. Ignition, Swizz. We talked about Swizz before. We did that record that came out in '88. Such it's a, a weird, band. like, transitionary era because, like, well, all the classics place... are gone for the most mm-hmm. part. Like, all the legends are for the most part have gone or like morphed into like a crossover thing, or like releasing like very inessential material. Even New Wave at this point is like really died down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's gone full goth mostly. Yeah, for the most part. Or yeah, it, that, at first that glance, naked there's like nothing. There's not a whole lot of straightforward punk. 
like Naked Raygun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's probably my favorite album out of 88. I love you that know, Naked Raygun record. You know how I got into Naked Raygun was through Thrasher magazine. They were always, like, this album was, like, always, their album covers were, like, always advertised in Thrasher. And I was like, I gotta check this band out. And they're so... Lo and behold, they're awesome. They're so melodic. Yeah. Like, I got to see The Bomb a few years ago, and it's uh, Jeff's band post Naked Raygun, and they're, it's the same formula, like, the the soaring woes and stuff like that. Like, Mm -hmm. so good. Um, I love how Naked Raygun are... A super catchy melodic band but they're like their guitar tone and the overall intensity of their sound is every bit the chicago noise rock <laughs> yeah sound but it's just like extremely melodic <laughs> like Dude, pop, I, I, almost i was stoked to see uh crimp shrine on yeah well yeah it was an early one um yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of little like i don't know uh Screeching Weasel have a record on here. Boogada, boogada, I think, right? Yeah. And, you know, they're very, you know, Ben Weasel's a controversial figure. But um, that kind of paved the way for, like, the sugar bubblegum pop punk that was, you know, would become really well-known with Lookout mm-hmm. in the early 90s. We've We've got, like, all of these sounds kind of growing at this point. Like it's not as defined, but it's mm-hmm. it's kind of everything that the '90s would be. Yeah. If you back if you back up a little bit and broaden the lens of what of what alternative music was doing in '88 too, you've got Daydream Nation by Sonic Youth. You've got Surferosa by Pixies. Oh man, that album. <laughs> so good that's the best one <laughs> yeah like <clears throat> so uh, i guess i guess it wasn't on i couldn't find it um but yeah cr- that duct tape soup album came out in 88 danzig self-titled album came out in 88 which i like you, a lot of these guys that are kind of like a lot of people roll their eyes at now like it like back then when the danzig album came out all we knew is that glenn danzig from the misfits and Samhain is doing another record and we were we couldn't wait you know what i mean and I love the first three dances, and I'll defend him to this day. I mean, his voice is awesome on those records. Uh, Chuck Biscuits is just amazing on all three of those records. Um, Erie Vaughn and John Christ. I mean, Erie yeah. Vaughn's I mean, that rhythm section by itself, even without Glenn, monster. You know? Yeah, I still, I still love those first three records. Um, I even like some of the fourth record. I mean, it, it's the last of that that era of Danzig before he started doing the weird stuff with the industrial music, <laughs> like five and six and yeah. And then whatever he became later, but uh... we got another, we got another visitor. <laughs> she's, running, yeah. she's getting away from the kids. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So 88 is like a big, uh, you know, it's, it's a big year for new sounds. Um, and that's kind of what our album we're talking about today is. Yeah, so sure. let's throw that out there. Today we were, uh, we gave you 1988 and you picked Bad Religion's Suffer.
basics out of the way for folks who don't know. Uh, Bad Religion are from Los Angeles, California, for, uh, formed in 1980. This was released on September 8th, 1988 on Epitaph Records. And the personnel on this record is Greg Graffin on vocals, Brett Gerwitz on guitar, Greg Hetson on guitar, Jay Bentley on bass, and Pete Finestone on drums. I like to ask this. Uh, why did you pick this record specifically to talk about? I mean, this record is... Uh... This was like one of those life-changing records. I mean, I I was late to the game a little bit on um, on Bad Religion, um, but this was the first album I heard, um, and they had already had several several albums after that one by the time I'd found out about them. And uh, but I just remember listening to it and thinking, wow, like there's a lot to unpack here. It, it like I can honestly pinpoint my the beginning of me using my critical thinking skills with the first time i heard bad religion i mean it's 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 like it's really that important to like it's great it's such a great record it's there's so much in the lyrics to to pick apart and yeah it's great stuff um dylan what is your take on this record because we've said before on the show we're not necessarily like big bad religion fans we respect them and like them but we're not like We've never been like an al- album with them. So, what did you think of this record, Dylan? So, I think by the third track, um, on my first listening, listened through this record, I was, <laughs> my thought was probably something like, I'm a total bonehead. Like, <laughs> to just have only ever glossed over this band and been like, yeah, some pretty good, catchy songs, you know, knew them mostly as. For their comp <laughs> songs and their soundtrack songs, you know, and there's so much to love. I mean, his voice is really interesting. Like, it really stands alone because he makes every effort to sing and he sings some really melodic stuff. And there's just this little grit on the top of his voice. Mm-hmm. That and is, fast, too. And exactly. Those dense lyrics. And he's just got perfect pronunciation and on everything it's yeah yeah it's it's really uh it's really incredible to listen how fast he can sing and you can understand every single word and it's pitch perfect <laughs> it's like he's a great he's a great singer. i knew bad religion songs i'd listen to some stuff all the way through like i think recipe for hate is the one i listened to all the way through before and i was like shit this band is like that was my first idea of being like, I probably have been underrating how good Bad Religion are all along. Like I knew their importance, I knew what how good they were, how tech like mm-hmm. technically I knew how good they were, but they just never like clicked for me until listening to this record all the way through. And I was like, okay, this really, yeah, yeah, like you said, <laughs> bonehead for uh, not. Uh... <laughs> and, and I think I chalk it up with an association with the the Fat Rack Epitaph sound that they directly inspired which a lot of it doesn't doesn't do anything for me <laughs> um so like I, I i feel like there are two there are two types of uh, bad religion fan there's you know the suffer no control and uh against the grain fans you know and then there's everything after that and there's some crossover there too of course but um and i'm one of those i, I like the whole catalog but um, yeah, I mean, I I definitely like those first, uh, not first, but those three records. I definitely like those the best. Mm-hmm. 
They had broken up previously. Brett Gerwitz had recently got sober after suffering from like a heroin addiction. So like he came back to the band and was ready to, you know, play music again. They had already brought in Greg Hetson from Circle Jerks mm-hmm. to play before they broke up. But then, you know, they didn't really do a ton. This is the first full length album after the um the Into the Unknown. <laughs> the uh, unwise decision to make a, a prog rock record <laughs> in the middle of like their popularity in the hardcore scene. Um, so this is the first full length they had already done back back to the known the EP, but like everything they'd done before was a lot more raw sounding. And Suffer mm-hmm. is them; they have figured out what the Bad Religion formula is. And this mm-hmm. is what the band is going forward. Yeah. It's, you can hear a little bit of that in how it could worse. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's a little bit, you can hear a little bit of that direction and them moving that way. But yeah, for sure. Was this one that they, did they record Suffer themselves? Yeah, they produced it themselves. Okay, uh, yeah. and they may have had an engineer in there, but um, yeah. This was, just... yeah. I, yeah what, I had, what I had read was that Brett had, after getting, after getting sober, had, was struggling to find work. And went to some vocational schools and tried out some different things and wound up in engineering and owning a studio. So I, I knew that that came into play into On No Control because I read something about how that record, he ran every track through a compressor and then didn't like how it sounded and then spent a ton of time in the mix trying to decompress it after he'd <laughs> already compressed everything, which then he liked that sound more. Which you can you can definitely tell with no control and every record after that, like there's this there's a level of compression to their music that is not there before. Mm-hmm. Um, Suffer is definitely a little more dynamic and raw sounding. I think we need to uh, talk about this cover art. Oh yeah, like I mean, that's it's like one of the most recognizable punk covers. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this 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 one and then like Bad Brains. Uh, um, Band in DC cover art. Yeah, this like, is if you're not looking at it, if you're just listening to us talk about it. Uh, this is the one with the the kid on the sidewalk, and he's on fire. Uh, it's uh, done by uh, Jerry Mahoney. Did the artwork. I'm not too familiar with. He didn't really do a ton of other stuff as far as album work. I'm sure he has an extensive like collection of artwork that he's you know done over the years. But mm-hmm. he created yeah, the logo, didn't he? I think that's what I read. Uh, the this... Crossbuster. Oh, about that. I don't know. It could be something that's going to get us yelled at for looking stuff up on that episode. <laughs> I guess there's a there's a friend of mine that that has a big thing about their. He hates their logo. He thinks he thinks it's it's bigoted. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I wrestle. I think it's a. I think it's a. It's silly I, to sort of. I think it's accomplishing uh, what they intended it. <laughs> do if if he feels that way about it um i don't i don't know it's a pretty i i imagine seeing that on a t-shirt it just says bad religion and it's got the cross and it's got the line through it 
It's very mm-hmm. clearly most people are not going to know that's even a band. So I could see it's it's provocative, and then well, even in eighties standards, it's even more so. But so he he took that he took that, and then right next to it he he did it with a star of David, <laughs> and he said, "What's the difference? You're mocking I mean, someone's you're mocking someone's religion." And I'm like, "Yeah, I see what I mean. Like you does have kind of have a point." On maybe an interpersonal level, but there's like yeah. a yeah, there's a huge power difference. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, 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 agree. I agree with you. But um, you know, in this postmodern age, and we're all trying to be very, you know, uh, sensitive to other people. It's like I feel like I'm questioning every little thing right now. <laughs> it's so funny because even the band themselves don't specifically say that they're anti-religion. It was um, they how do they word it? It's more of like people who follow religion to a degree that is like it controls everything they do. Yeah, they're they're not specifically like all religions are bad. It's just it's what people do in the name of religion yeah. to a degree, which awful stuff. Of course, I'm uh, you know I'm a I'm an atheist. I didn't want you to think I was arguing for religion. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm a, I'm an atheist. I'm one of two atheists in Five Iron. I, I've I uh, probably should have said that earlier since the connotation of, of five iron in religion, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, I'm an atheist. Uh, you know, that when I said that bad religion, this album kind of started me critical thinking, my critical thinking skills. That's what I meant. I mean, it, it guy, like I started questioning all of the things I had grown up with. Yeah. I knew that. I knew that about you and I knew there was another member in the band too, who was as well. Um, it's funny you're not the only band like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I believe, like that came out of that scene that has members like that. Because like what Zayo, for the most part, I think everyone in that band considers themselves atheists at this point, or at least agnostic. Mm-hmm. So that that's another band that was very tied to the Christian scene that doesn't hold those beliefs. I personally still consider myself a Christian, so like that, that's that. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just interesting that. <laughs> We've got a um, uh, drummer of Five Iron Frenzy talking about a bad religion record. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. You can't deny great work. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like uh, You know, Leonore totally considers herself a Christian, and she loves bad religion. It's one yeah. of her favorite bands. Oh, for sure. I mean, I I listen to just about everything, so like, there's no <laughs> nothing off limits you know, for me musically. Yeah. I don't think... <laughs> I don't think music is going to like make me be like ah oh, question my life i don't know I don't. yeah but you're not you're not judging music by christian bookstore standards right <laughs> do those even exist anymore <laughs> i think they do i think there's a the big chains are around. dead at this point life yeah. way and family, family. Christian, both gone that's fine i didn't want to pay 20 dollars for a cd anyway <laughs> yeah. i used to uh, good riddance <laughs> Yeah, so um, I bought a lot of, uh, for me, it was cassettes, bookstores. Um, the Ark, that's what it was, the Ark Christian Bookstore. I think it was on South Broadway or something like that. But anyway, and I'd save up money to go buy the next Crucified record or Striper record or whatever. Yeah, I'm trying um, to remember which Vibrant records I bought. I definitely bought a lot of other stuff in Christian bookstores. I think I only bought maybe like two from a Christian bookstore, but I think the rest of them would be more like bigger chains. Like, yeah or media player or something like that because just figured out they were way cheaper yeah 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 that was the real reason
track <laughs> did you, you read that book art? that he that greg graffin did with i don't remember what the guy was um but he was a christian and they were having like a correspondence Mm-mm. i had I'd it love to read that I, I had it at one point i don't know if i still have it or not i want to say maybe i sold it at one point yeah it's 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 uh the two of them discussing like religion for the most part, wow. but like through correspondence. So it's like all emails that they compile. So it's an interesting way to read that kind of thing. Cause it's just like, here's their, they do a couple pages with this guy. And then Greg does a couple pages. It, it was an interesting read. Um, yeah, it's probably been like 10 years since I've read it. Yeah. I don't remember much about it other than I don't think either one of their opinions changed. <laughs> <laughs> the one that, um, the one that pushed me over the cliff finally, weird way to say that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) was uh losing faith and this dude that was i think it was a baptist minister and he's an atheist now and it's just he's just kind of talking about his story and i related really closely to it and i was just like you know kind of you know it was like okay i don't think i believe this stuff anymore (laughs) but um so bad religion's awesome (laughs) sorry (laughs) i got way off top (laughs) This whole episode's been kind of scattered. It's funny. We, we shouldn't record so late at night. <laughs> I looked up some cool stuff about this record. I, I, I was looking up some of the uh, additional musicians, and we have uh, three members of L7 on this record. We have Danita Sparks, really? Susie Gardner, and Jennifer Finch doing guitar and vocals. And it makes you wonder, because you know, there's a couple tracks on this album that have kind of like a little more advanced guitar leads on them. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if they're the ones doing them on this record. Because there's only a couple tracks that they show up on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are some solos that seem... I mean, Brett is considered the lead guitarist. And he's certainly not a bad lead guitarist by what I've heard from other stuff that he's played. There are a couple of solos that seem a little uncharacteristic, though. That was one of the things that I had written down in my notes, actually, was that there are guitar solos on this record. And uh, it was the first time I'd really gotten into a band that like a punk band that did guitar solos it's like oh man i'm actually really good at guitar solos and it's not just atonal craziness yeah it because a lot a good chunk of the record kind of does that la hardcore like kind of scaling the neck of the guitar chord you know it's not like super advanced cording or anything like that mm-hmm. and then yeah randomly you'll hear like these like like kind of cool little solo cool riffs like at the end of the song too like it's not even like at a bridge they just kind of like 
they do their last chorus, and then all of a sudden there's like a little bit of an extra guitar thing. It's interesting. A lot of the, one of my favorite things about this record is how short it is. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I have like very little patience anymore when it comes to like <laughs> to music. So like short songs for me, like if you can get everything in in a small amount of time, like it, that's that's magic for me. <laughs> and they're they're great at that too. I mean, these songs are all like under two minutes long. And think about how much he packs lyrically into that teeny tiny space. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean they're dense songs. They're they're two minutes, but they're like intro riff, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, mm. chorus twice. You know, like they're yeah. It's not like yeah. they have one idea and they just play it for a minute and they're done. Like there's a you know several distinct parts to most of these songs, and they still keep it in a tight two minutes. <laughs> I think I think the only one that has a bridge it ends with that halftime beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh is yeah, it, is it forbidden beat? No. Is it um? Is it give you nothing? That might be it. it has a little. I, I wouldn't call it necessarily a bluesy breakdown towards the end, but it's like yeah, it cuts it down, cuts the speed down. That one's got even like got a bounce to it that some of the other yeah. ones don't have. Do you have a favorite song on the record? Um, I do. I have I I have a top three actually. I would say favorite song is probably part two, the numbers game. Hmm. I, I love that record. Uh, that that song. Um, when is a great one for me. Uh, that last, the last verse and when is all oh, about yeah. that last verse. Yeah, those it's like when harmonizing. The world, when the world stops singing, so will you. Oh, <laughs> like that hit me heavy when I was eighteen, nineteen years old. Harmonizing a bad religion is kind of an underrated element to the band because I can't think of too many other bands at the same time, or at least the same scene, really doing that. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah, as far as like, yeah, I think mean like X maybe have, and there's a different some like, harmony, but and that's yeah, that's d- a different kind of harmony. It's not like a, it's not that group harmony. It's well, it's John Doe singing and Xine, mm-hmm. not really harmonizing often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can I can't think of any like three part harmonies in punk before. I mean, <laughs> is it all? Is it all Greg? It sounds like him doubled mostly. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Do they do that live? Because I've never seen them live. I was watching, remember whether it was, let's see. It was some show. It was like one of the, oh, it was Hellfest. That's what it was. They were playing Hellfest. And uh, I did. I was looking for, for harmonies. And it, it was there was background vocals, but not really any harmony. Hmm. Yeah, you probably, they probably don't do the, the cascading yeah <laughs> harmonies i love yeah. those just like ah <laughs> they've got a lot of really good good tricks that they they pull out from time to time there's like there's the the snare direct floor tom rolls that mm-hmm. are just so fun to have that pan across the kit yeah and it, it, like everyone is just, it, in, in drumming it seems like right now there's such a focus on virtuosity and sometimes that's what I want to hear is just that da 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 you know what I mean? That's what the song is asking for, you know? Um I pulled up a video from eighty eight because I, I I like to try and like get them like as close get bands to the closest of the the release date of the records. And I found like some real rough, real rough sounding recordings. But I could see though, like the drummer was just like crazy good. Like, yes, he's a great 
drummer, and you kind of need to be to be able to play like this fast-paced stuff mm-hmm. and keep time and not like lose everything. But it, it was in a way that like I don't know. A lot of the other like LA hardcore bands from the same time period weren't quite as tight. I mean, unless you're talking about like Bill Stevenson, you know, or you know, someone like that, or Dead Kennedys. Their drummer was pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's more rare though. It seems to have like a standout drummer from that time period. Yeah, they're they're good for sure. But I mean, Bad Brains. Like everybody in that band was a phenomenal musician. Yeah, but like you know, Minor Threat were good. But, you know, they're just playing fast. <laughs> they're not like virtuosos or anything. Hey, Steven's a girl who's afraid of the world since she stays at home. Oh, so a boy who seems so lost in his joy, he's all alone. The cameras on them, they're in the lap of competition Southern California airbeam And they know they're the best cause of the way they are dressed You can bet you are now welcome in their home Hey, see, there's a girl who sits and watches the work on the screen Also a boy who truly wants to destroy his hometown scene they both want to travel to the land of competition Southern California will destroy them And they won't be the best, they'll be the posers who dress Like the plastic idiots who they can be So do you guys want to do like a like a track by track or how do you guys Um, I don't, like my notes for each track individually aren't like super in-depth So it's just kind of whatever stands out to you um, I was gonna ask Dylan, do you have a favorite song on the record, or? Um, let's see. Sorry, <laughs> I don't have the names written down. Land of Competition was really good. <sighs> see, um, that's a sta- that's a standout for me too. That's the one. Um, look up the lyrics, because some of these I would know if I know the lyrics. I love um, Southern California destroyed. Love how much is enough. That's the third track. Really, I think the first three tracks, or first four tracks. Yeah. It's like a perfect string. Um, and then, yeah, Give You Nothing is like that bouncy beat to it. So, like, overall, I mean, it's one of those records that kind of flies by. Mm-hmm. And it, if anything, it might drag towards the end. But that's purely just from, I don't know, the length of the record. And they're playing fast. So, you know, mm-hmm. usually when you're playing this fast, you don't have, like, you know, a 26-minute record. But they have a lot of songs on this album. I just pulled up the lyrics to Give You Nothing. Right. And this line... You're a sidewalk cipher speaking prionic jive. <laughs> <laughs> He's such yeah. an absurdly good lyricist. <laughs> yeah. I was looking up lyrics last night and I was like, oh, I'm not smart enough for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you, you, lyrics are coming back to me now for, uh, for land of competition. It, like, the chorus is like, uh, you won't find too many in the land of competition. Southern California doesn't. Is, is it breed them? Or need them maybe. Need them, and you won't yeah, be the re- he, You won't he, be the best. You'll be the. Po- he does these progressive progress. choruses, yeah, because he yeah. changes. It's like Southern California air feeds them. Southern California will destroy them. Southern breed California them. doesn't breed them. If you just want the best, turn to yourself for the rest. A lot to say. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> like I said, it's like I'm saying, man, like a, he packs so much into just a small space, like so few words, but so much to unpack you know, so much to to think about. I've I'm like, well, how does he remember all these words? And then I remember he has like a doctorate and like, zo- does he have a zoology degree? Is that his? He has like some medical degree that's just like, <laughs> or, you know, scientific degree that's like requires him to remember a lot of stuff. He so. has a master's degree in geology and a doctorate in biology. Biology, yeah. So, um, just like this song right here, just thinking about this song being written in ni- uh, 1988, um, when, the song when, the lyrics, it's like, man, talk about time, timeless lyrics. Uh, I've seen a lot of things in five years. I struggle just to hold back the tears, but every fucking where I go, I see the pathos that I know will spell the termination of us all. <laughs> uh, someone's got to tell me, do you see everything around you has a hidden tragedy? Seeds of heaviness, happiness have never found a place to grow, and our generation doesn't know. <laughs> and then, of course, that last verse, man, it's, it's so it's so cutting. Um, I've tried to make things... i tried to make things make sense but i can't i'm happy just to watch them all and laugh and if you think you've got it made just revel in your selfish ways because when the world stops turning so will you <laughs> like, <laughs> that's still relevant <laughs> yeah so relevant man more so probably in 2020 and uh it's just been like a nightmare year like n- never ceasing <laughs> rough it has been a rough year uh and you can almost say that about every song on this record um pessimistic lines that tune is really relevant right now i gotta pull that one up too man land of competition again see there's a girl who sits and watches the world from her blue screen like (laughs) (laughs) yeah like you could put that on a t-shirt now like that's i mean see there's a boy who has too many toys and an aching inside of his bones which is a hard time remembering them all but yeah (laughs) yeah I mean, he's very clearly a smart person, so that's probably why a lot of this tends to uh, still ring true. He managed to write stuff that's political, that, you know, still resonates, whereas a lot of bands from this era were just like, Reagan sucks! It's like, yeah, he does. Let's talk about the more the systemic issues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah, yeah he's, he's talking about the the religious right that gave Reagan the presidency and <laughs> that how that built up over... A period of time and it's not just like oh this one guy is the cause of all of our problems <laughs> it's my- attitudes Mommy, let me- oh good i hope she's cleaned that up oh speaking <laughs> of reagan my daughter's a giant piece of watermelon okay honey <laughs> that's very funny can you take it back upstairs please thank you <laughs> that's like a quarter of a watermelon <laughs> uh so-, so sorry that's okay what were you what were you saying um I was going to say that I was reading a little bit about this record and how a lot of people considered it a sound-defining album for Los Angeles punk. Like, uh, Fat Mike famously calls it, like, one of the most important records. Um, It it kind of uh, created that, Dylan, you mentioned it earlier, like, the epithet, the epitaph, fat wreck sound of the 90s. It just, it's fast-paced, kind of, like, for the most part, simple guitar riffs. Um, it's smarter. Lyrically, it's a little smarter than a lot of the 90s stuff tends to be. But 
just like the overall vibe and speed and sound of 90s what we consider like early 90s pop punk or skate punk it just like takes so heavily from this record you can tell it's just it this coming out fugazi's self-titled ep coming out the screeching weasel record the gorilla biscuits ep like all of these came out in the same year and they're all kind of I guess Gorilla Biscuits is kind of more on that sound didn't last too much longer into the nineties, but but it just I mean, even yeah, that sound in laid the groundwork for a lot of what hardcore would, would do in the nineties. True. It's interesting that you bring up Gorilla Biscuits because Civ had that side project. It was like a crossover project, remember? Um just Civ? Was, yeah, punk? Civ. Yeah, the pop bone group. Yeah. Yeah. Which is more the in this vein. You realize yeah. it's the same guy, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Yeah, there's a lot of like straight edge hardcore too. There's like a Project X, that Project X EP. That's like the only thing they did, right? There's um, side by side. There's Judge Chain of Straight Strength Slapshot Warzone Bold. I love Slapshot, dude. I was into that hardcore, I, I, like uh, like Iceburn. I, I did. I listened to Judge Youth of Today. Um, that was a good era for hardcore. Just right before like the hardcore metal took over, like Earth Crisis and stuff like that. You know, I uh, I can't watch it right now. Okay, I'll watch. All right, I'll watch it later. Okay. Okay. Cool. I I need to finish this, please. <laughs> no, I want you to go upstairs, please, please. Thank you. Heidi got mixed wicks. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this is this is dad life right here. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, You're all good. Where were we talking about the fat record sound? Yeah, that's what he asked where we were. Or no, we were talking about the New York stuff. like the straight Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I was really into that. I mean, I know that... Or, or uh, uh, Crowbar? No, Crass. Cro-Max. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there it is. There it is. I was like, <laughs> uh, those, cool. neither of those are New York hardcore. No, no, no. I, <laughs> but I was close. You see? Yeah. Agnostic uh, Front. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Warzone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it does, it's, there's the youth crew thing going on, there's, like, the more tough guys stuff going on, and then, yeah, the mid-90s, it gets, yeah, the Earth Crisis, like, inspiration kind of takes over, um, which you see, then you see that sound come back, like, every sound winds up coming back at some point. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. remember, uh, Stretch Armstrong? Yeah, yeah, South Carolina used, band. Yeah, we used to play with those guys, we just had, like, like, it's just such a weird bill, like, a ska band and Stretch Armstrong, or... Like Stavesacre. We used to play shows with Stavesacre, <laughs> which I love. I love that band, but and they're all fantastic. What a weird combination. <laughs> and you're all only lumped together just because of like Christian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Christian alternative. <laughs> it and like doesn't Mark Salomon tell a story about like Stavesacre opening up for the OC Supertones and like the crowd right. hated them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you came for the good time feelings of the OC Supertones, <laughs> and you're sitting through Mark Salomon brooding <laughs> over these chunky riffs. I saw I saw Mark recently. He was at the at the shit last time we played in California. It was a California or Florida. It was Florida. Last time we played in Florida, he came to the show and hung out a little. Um, I always was. But he was really nice. He's he does a- kind of have that. Does kind of have that presence. You know what I mean. <laughs> And he's, now he's got this big, huge, long, curly mustache. <laughs> yeah. so he's even he's even more intimidating now. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I, I mean, I love the idea of a mixed bill, though. Like, it, it, I've been to I've been to too many shows where every band played the same kind of thing that I was like, please give me some variety on this show. Like, yeah. I don't I need. Think, I think ska and hardcore should be coexisting on bills again, <laughs> dude. Post COVID, when we first when we first started touring, so many hardcore bands opening for so many like because that know, was the this thing. 90, yeah, this is like 96, 97. And like there was this one band in Louisville and I don't I I can't tell you the name of the band because I don't remember. Mm-hmm. All I know is is if I'm hanging out with the guys at Five Iron, all I have to say is angry baby, and immediately they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> because their singer, their singer was this was this little round guy with a bald head. And like all he would do is just pace back and forth across the stage. Until it was his time to sing, and then he'd turn bright red and he'd start screaming into the microphone, and he looked like a babe, a little baby having, <laughs> you know, a fit. <laughs> and uh, like, and then of course, every other band that we play op- that we opened for us were they were either a ska band or a hardcore band. But <laughs> I don't know how we got on that topic. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Let's see. Do we have anything else we want to say about this record? I'm checking my notes here. Make sure I didn't miss anything. I have something that I want to say about the record before this one. Uh, the the prog rock record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can have I, you listened to just, any of it? I just like clips. I skimmed through it. I didn't actually listen to any whole songs. It's nowhere near as bad as everyone makes it out to be. <laughs> like, it's just a weird decision for them to make, <laughs> and it's not nearly as prog rocky to my ears. A lot of it fits with new wave i felt like but the songwriting is still there it's greg's voice like it's really mm-hmm. enjoyable in that way like there's a couple yeah. songs that are like have acoustic guitar and they're like they're almost like who's do acoustic songs hmm. or like a jangle pop mm-hmm. i always wondered what motivated them to do that just trying to be something different or they were from what i read they were they were frustrated and yeah they were just mostly frustrated with like the hardcore scene and in Southern California and just, yeah, wanted to do something different. I think it was just like, this is a dead end, <laughs> which a lot of, you know, I think a lot of the LA hardcore sound kind of did die. Yeah. Morphed into crossover and in, or weirder stuff. I mean, you had, yeah, black flag did their slower, mm-hmm. more metallic uh, influenced stuff. Yeah. Minutemen were always weird didn't, in their own way. Yeah. Didn't, um, big black, Release a record in '88. I don't know. Speaking of slow, weird stuff. <laughs> Let's see. So, oh, there's a Rape Man record. That's yeah. the that's that's the other Steve Albini band. No. Yeah, because they didn't release anything else after '87 until actually like '92. Was there? When did Shellac start? Yeah, that was until the '90s. Yeah, Dead Milkman. That was a good record. And I I grew up I grew up in Philadelphia. Um. I was stoked when I first heard the Dead Milkman. They talk about going down to the shore and all that. It's all East Coast stuff. And that's where the conversation ends. Thank you again to Andy for doing the show. As promised, here is the new Five Iron Frenzy song, So We Sing. You can support the album at kickstarter.com slash project slash help Five Iron Frenzy make a new album. You can also follow the band on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Five Iron Frenzy as well as their own website, 5ironfrenzy.com. As always, you can follow us on all forms of social media, at Punk Lotto Pod, and that'll do it 
for us for this week. So uh, thank you and enjoy So We Sing. <laughs>